Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm very happy to have Jürgen Peters on the call. Thank you so much for joining us and taking time to share with us today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Yes, pleasure. So Jürgen Peters lives in Belgium with his wife and his three children who are aged 22, 17 and 13. He started his professional life as a teacher in primary school 30 years ago before moving into special youth care. He completed many courses and explored many different therapeutic approaches as a client and became a certified psychotherapist himself. In 2009, he invited Aletha Solskjaer to come to Belgium and he became an aware parenting instructor. In 2017, he published his first book in Dutch, which I'm not going to try and pronounce the title of, but in English it translates (laughs) as Children Are Not Puppies to an Attuned and Empowering Parenting Style. Next to his work as a psychotherapist, he gives lectures, workshops and trainings about aware parenting, stress, trauma family dynamics, leadership, and mediation. So thank you so much. I'm really looking forward Mm -hmm. to this conversation with you. You've obviously been an aware parenting instructor now for so many years. I always start by asking people, how how did you come across aware parenting and what was it about it that really resonated for you initially? Yeah, That started many years ago. In the year 2000, my first daughter was born. And at that time, I read the book from Jean Leadloff, The Continuum Concept. And I, I joined a, a Leadloff camp with a group of parents. And we were all very into natural parenting, breastfeeding on demand, co-sleeping, sitting by the fire, sharing with other parents, being supportive. But at that time, I didn't know anything about the word parenting yet. And the first evening two couples left the camp with a conflict. And on the third day, we were half of the group. (laughs) And I thought, what is happening here? We are all very idealistic. We want to to do it really, really good with our children, do it in a natural way. But it became clear to me that, that we weren't aware of ourselves yet. We were idealistic but with a lot of blind spots in our own soul. And a few months later, a friend of me gave Alita's first book, The Aware Baby. And I started reading that book. And after, I don't know, 30, 40 pages, I stopped reading it. I don't know why. Now I know why, because it was a little bit confronting. And a few months later, I took that book again and I read it and it was it was amazing how Alita has thought about so many things in in raising children in a in a very profound way, and it resonated with me. And since that time, it it was obvious for me to to do it in the aware parenting way. And of course, 
because of my studies and trainings, I've done a lot of body work, uh, emotional body work, bioenergetics, gestalt, family constellation work. But uh, it, it was such a practical guide to raise children in, in, a, in a profound way. And in the beginning, my, our daughter cried a lot. And I thought, but she has breastfeeding on demand. She sleeps with us in bed and we, we carry her in a sling the whole day. Why does she cry? I didn't understand the crying. <laughs> and when I read Lita's second book, Tears and Tantrums, yeah, from that moment on, it, it was obvious that children have uh, also the, a need to, to release tension through the crying. And that, that was so helpful. I remember at that time when she was a few months old, I walked around with her around the table in the middle of the night because she couldn't sleep and she was crying. And I was so exhausted and so confused. I didn't understand the crying yet at that time. And at a certain moment, I started crying with her. Yeah. And, and then she became more at ease. And then I realized... Of course, she can't feel safe in the arms of a father who is ignoring his own emotions, who is trying to be calm, but pretending to be calm is not being calm. Mm. <laughs> and you, you can't fool a baby. <laughs> and I'm, I'm convinced that babies often cry the, the not cried tears of the parents. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, Wow. Yeah. And that was for me the beginning of a long, long journey. And I started in the year 2000 with giving lectures and trainings for parents, but also for professionals in youth care, in education and childcare. And I translated an article of Alita, 20 Alternatives to Punishment. My mouth isn't used to talk English. Yeah. Uh, and in a way, Alita discovered that. So I, I got an email from Alita Salter in, in, I think, the year 2007. Hello, uh, Mr. Peters. I appreciate you to translate my article, but there is a copyright on it. And I would like it to be translated by someone I know. <laughs> because I made a translation for, for a group and I shared it on my own website and of course, I, I had to consult Alita about making the translation, but I didn't. So I apologized for not asking her permission to do the translation. It was my enthusiasm that got a little bit away with me. But now that we have contact, uh, I would like to invite you to Belgium <laughs> to give an aware parenting training. And she said yes. And I thought, oh no, how <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do this. <laughs> but it was great. Uh, in the year 2009, she was here. She stayed for a week in our home, my, my family. And it, it was great. But I was very, very nervous. I, I know when I picked her up in uh, Brussels airport, we were talking in the car. And after 15 minutes, she said to me, Jürgen, I'm not judgmental. And I looked at her and I realized I was already apologizing for not being a really good aware parent. <laughs> it's, I, the, 
I was talking about all, all the difficulties and, and what I had to learn yet and, and so on. And she looked at me and she said, I'm not judgmental. Yeah. But when you read the books, you think, oh, wow, that's too difficult. And oh, yeah, it's it's true what she writes, but it's 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 too difficult for me. <laughs> I'm just a human being and I'm not so perfect. And um, it's not the way we were raised ourselves. So in, in history, raising children is, is very traditional. You, you raise your children like you were raised yourself. In, in the Middle Ages, a 14-year-old son of a, of a blacksmith knows how to be a blacksmith, how to know how to be a man, a father, how he's going to raise his children. So in, in this time, a lot of parents, including myself, choose to do it very, very different than we have been raised ourselves. And that's not easy. It's a very difficult mm. choice. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So true, isn't it? And to, to do it differently to what we received without a blueprint, but also that we're having to do this whilst also reparenting ourselves. And, and so it's, yeah. that's what's so challenging about it. it. makes it even more challenging, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. And during my therapeutic training, it was very obvious that most problems where adults deal with from addiction, relational, sexual, stress, burnouts, depression, and, and so on. Most problems adults deal with have a connection with how they were conceived, their birth was, or they are being raised in the first years of their lives. I thought, why don't we translate those insights we have from adult therapy into a pedagogical approach for children. And Alita has done that. But but it's it's quite revolutionary because her first book was written in the 80s. She's so ahead of now, her. Amazing. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I've, I've read her last book about healing trauma. You, you've had a podcast with her on, on her book. And she gives a, a very good overview of what has happened the last 100 years. In, in the area of trauma. And uh, she was really, really ahead of the head of her time, yes. And now you have Somatic Experiencing and Maggie Klein and Peter Levine and, and so many others, but they are all in the on the same track with, with different accents and, and also often semantic discussions. But what do you mean with regulation? What do you mean with stress? What do you mean with release? And and so on. And that's mainly interesting for professionals. Mm, yeah, it's not uh, very helpful for parents, is it? No, no, no. It's for parents. It's very confusing. All those different uh, approaches, aware parenting, attachment parenting, unconditional parenting, non-violent parenting. <laughs> for parents, it's very confusing. But as a professional, for me, it's, it's important to know what is what. Because next to aware parenting, I, I've read a lot of other books and done a lot of other trainings and work with a lot of different colleagues. And it's not that one approach is better than the other. Uh, so I, I try to see, see what is helpful for, for parents. <laughs> and then I can be flexible. <laughs> In my book, I write about the shift from a more controlling parenting style to a more attuned parenting style. That's such, that attuned is such a such a crucial aspect of the aware parenting. Yeah, that attunement. Yes, yes. And in the controlled parenting style, there are punishments and reward. 
there is anger, shame, and guilt, and rating and grading, and 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 so on, and timeouts, and and that's the met method. Huh? Mm -hmm. But in a more attuned parenting style, yeah, we do a lot of different things, like time in instead of a timeout, talking about needs. And, and sharing feelings mm. and uh, loving limits and that's that's another par paradigm yeah no oh, thank thank you for for sharing that I, I really loved hearing your story and it really resonated for me how you started by reading Jean Liedloff's amazing book that was how I all started this journey too but I loved what you were saying about the lack of self-awareness and and the fact that you slowly realized as you were learning this approach how your daughter would not be able to cry and feel safe to do so if she didn't feel safe with you because you were also connected to your feelings and having that self-awareness of what was going on for you. And I really resonated as well with what you were saying about you know, not really understanding initially why your daughter would have any reason to cry if she mm. had been parented in this beautiful way and I had the same feelings too about my son I just didn't understand what could he possibly have to cry about and then you just realize how misunderstood it is in our culture that our children and our babies from the moment of birth and before birth experience things very deeply and they have lots of stressful experiences in their life that impact them hugely so even when we are parenting in this very attached and loving way they are still having experiences that cause them to feel stressed and, and to have trauma. And so I, I loved what you were saying about the profoundness of Aletha's work. Absolutely. And um, I also really loved what you said about that babies cry the unexpressed tears of their parents and, and how you see in your own work and how you were seeing in your own work for many years the impact on adults having to heal from these traumatic, stressful experiences from their childhood, from their birth, from their early years, um, and then having to mm. wait until adulthood to heal from that and how mm. these, this approach allows us to support our children in that healing process from, from the moment they're born. I thought that was really profound. Can we talk a little bit more then about some of the different aspects of aware parenting? I mean, you spoke about not having punishments and rewards and, and that kind of thing. Was that something that was easy for you to incorporate into your family once you understood the, the yes. theoretical? Yes. That was, was for me an easy part. When I graduated as a teacher somewhat 30 years ago, I graduated on, a on the topic contributing to a positive learning environment. And I was then already busy with how can I be a natural leader for my class? How can I avoid using punishments and rewards? And I, I was fascinated by the work of Thomas Gordon, the, the teacher effectiveness training and uh, eye messages and active listening and, and, and so on. So, that felt for me as very natural. Why should I do things with children that I don't want something else to do with me? So that for me, the, the avoiding punishments and rewards was the easiest part of aware parenting. Attachment that was also very logical for me. I was long before I knew aware parenting 
busy with attachment and uh, the work of Bowlby. And, and so the crying part and the emotional release and the control patterns, that's uh, that was more difficult. But in an intuitive way, I was busy with that for, uh, for a long time. Uh, when I was 24, I worked in special youth care with children and, and teenagers with very difficult family situations and abuse and so on. And I worked there in a group, residential. And there was a girl, seven-year-old girl, and we were eating with the children. And she was she, she made a lot of noise at the table and she was playing with the food and she was obstinate, so they call it that, that time. And the the usual treatment there was you get her out and put her on a room so you give her a time out and when she's quiet again she can come back on the table and, and i was very young and i just did what they told me to do so i took the girl with her hand say come on i'll bring you up to your room and uh you're gonna find some inner peace and then you can come back so i took her upstairs on, on the stairs and when I went with her on the stairs, she, she shrinked. She was, was very, there was a real fear in her eyes. And it was as if I was very, very dangerous for her. And at that time, I didn't know much about trauma, but I felt this is not okay what I'm doing here. This is not okay. It's, this is re-traumatizing. It's a pedagogical approach to, to teach her better behavior, <laughs> but this is re-traumatizing. This mm. girl is is uh, is not okay now. So I stopped and I sat on on the stairs with her and uh, I just waited with her. When I look at that situation now, I can think of it as a time in. Yeah, I'm here for you now. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know that concept. I didn't know anything about stress and trauma at that moment. It was more intuitive. But I struggled a lot working there. I did it for four years with the normal approach of, of punishments and rewards. I struggled a lot. And I, I experimented even in that situation with doing different things with those uh, young people. And now I, I teach the people who work in that situation <laughs> about aware parenting and, and stress and trauma and family, family dynamics and, and so on. So that's a long answer to your question. Was it difficult, the non-punitive discipline? No, that feels very natural for me. I never punished my children. I never rewarded them unless I don't know it. Unconsciously, sometimes you do it, of mm. course. And it's, it's funny because my, my eldest daughter, she's 22 and she has a boyfriend and he, he knows about my book and he says, oh, children need to be punished. He doesn't approve of my ideas about raising children. And um, he says, what would happen if your son goes to a party and you say you have to be at home at one o'clock and he comes home at three o'clock in the morning? <laughs> Then he needs to be punished. And my daughter says to him, you don't understand it. That's not the way we treat each other here in this family. So children become an, a kind of an advocate for the, for the method yes. in, the long, in the long run. Yes. And it was such a beautiful 
way that she said, that's not the way we treat each other here. We talk, we listen, we, we find solutions together. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it, how widely held the belief is in our culture that children need to be taught how to behave and that children's so that children aren't seen with as their true nature being loving and cooperative and connected and all of those things. And there is this just widely accepted belief that in order to get children to behave properly, we need to teach them how to do so. And that if we are, if they're not behaving properly, it's completely uh, accepted that we treat them in ways that make them feel worse, expecting that that's somehow going to make them behave better. And so mm. then once you see that this approach for what it is, then it becomes so clear and so obvious to us. And I remember reading, I think it was Aletha wrote that you, you can't make a child behave better by making them feel worse. And it just seems so obvious once you see it that way. But I know that the, the same is true that in my family, there've been times when I have wanted to resort to some kind of punishment or power over my children when I have felt powerless and frustrated and had stressful feelings coming up for myself. And over the years, it, it happens less and less as, as I've learned more about aware parenting. But over the years, there have been many times when my children have said to me, but mum, we don't have punishments and rewards in our family. That's just not how we treat each other. <laughs> and it's like, mm. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Thanks. Thanks for keeping me on track. So what about other aspects then, for example, you, you're saying that it was much harder for you to learn how to listen to feelings and support your children to release their accumulated feelings by crying, through crying. Can you talk a little bit about that process and, and how you navigated that to support them? Mm. Yeah, With my eldest daughter, she's 22 and she's from my former relationship. So I, I divorced with her mother when she was one and a half years old. So that was also a painful and complex situation. So there, there was a lot to cry also for myself. And when I look back to that time, I wasn't that emotional available for her because I was very struggling with myself. The therapeutic training opened a lot of doors in in my own heart <laughs> that I wasn't aware of, and um, it was difficult to to be really emotional available at that time. I wanted that really hard, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a physical and emotional process. It's not just reading a book and doing it. That, that is not the way it works. So it took me many years to get the theory land in, in the, the physical and emotional world. And then it was easier with, with the other two children to say, I'm here, you, you can cry and it's okay. Or son in particular, the, he had a lot of tantrums to accept the tantrums. And when he was older, he asked, me daddy can you hold me or daddy can you fight with me we we have fought a lot with each other on a daily basis we fought a lot of play fighting and uh, he, he really needed that and that was was really helpful and necessary for him because uh, he had a lot of energy I, I often thought if we weren't not applying the aware parenting approach and more a classical behavior modification approach he would have been labeled with ADHD and got medication. Mm. I'm sure of that. 
now I know is is just a healthy boy with a lot of energy. And by giving him the, the possibility to be physical, to release his energy and, and have some joy in it also. He has done a lot of, of BM, BMX, so stunt biking and, and that kind of things. And when he was 10, he went with a friend playing ice hockey. And he came home and he said, oh, that's my sport. And now he's almost 18 and he has been to Turkey last year for a world championship in ice hockey. He's, he's very good in it. And he, he really needs that. It's very demanding for us because he has three trainings in a week and we have to go with him because he has a big bag and it's too far for, for him and so on. And, and games in the weekends. So it, it's uh, an investment from all the f- family. But it's so good for him to do the sport, to be physical. So that, that's a very nice process from uh, the play fighting to, to what I see him doing now in ice hockey. And I see a lot of guys from his, his age that didn't learn how to r- regulate themselves. So there is often fighting during games or... You see that they are not used to express emotions, so they they keep it in and then they explode and then they can't be empathic anymore. And uh, and then I look at my son and I think, oh, he has learned a lot mm. in, a, in a physical, emotional way. Mm. So also there I can see the long-term positive effect of that process. And then our youngest, our daughter, we had a discussion, my wife and I, if we would take another child because I had two children. She had one child. And I thought, oh, it's, I want to do it really good. (laughs) And I don't know if I have the energy to do it good with the third child. Uh, So we thought about it a long time, but then I, I decided to choose for life and love. So she came and I'm very, 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 very happy with my youngest daughter. And She's she's more another type in, in the family. She has I know Alita saw her when she was a baby. She said, "Oh, that's kind of a control pattern." She sucked her thumb for years, and my oldest children didn't had a pacifier uh, because yeah, the obvious reasons in our parenting we don't use that, and they never sucked their thumb. And I always said, "No, pe- children don't suck their thumb if they can express their emotions." And my youngest daughter has sucked her thumb for years. And it was very difficult also because I I teach about wear parenting and uh, the importance of release and control patterns. And my own youngest daughter has a huge control pattern. Mm. And we couldn't fix that. <laughs> that was, and she was allowed to cry, but she... She preferred sucking her thumb and we didn't want to pull it out. So we, we hoped she would surrender in a way. And, and, and she still, she's now 14. She still has, has a tendency to uh, keep the feelings inside instead of expressing them. And you, you could say we, we had with her the most experience. So it should be more easy with her, but that's not how life works. <laughs> That's not how life works. Our children really teach us to be modest. 
yes. in our theories about parenting. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, that's that's really lovely. I loved that you shared that story, and I really I really love how you're normalizing the control pattern that we all have as human beings, and and yeah. that we are able to be really compassionate to ourselves and to our children when we see us or them using these control patterns because it is part of life and it's an inevitable part of life for all of us. Um, I loved that. And I really, I really loved what you were saying as well about the impact of stress on our capacity to be emotionally present for our children and, mm. and how that therefore shows us how vital it is for us to be getting support and doing our own healing work if we're going to be able to be there to be present and to create this sense of emotional safety for listening for our children. And I'd love to come back and talk to you about that in, in just a moment. The other thing I really enjoyed is, is you telling your story about your son and, and the need for that play fighting and that kind of physical connection with an element, like you said, of, of joy, uh, as well as that sort of physical opportunity to be releasing and how transformative that was for him. I'm interested in in coming back to that uh, thing about our stress and I would love to know more about what you what you saw of really helping for you and how you also help parents that you work with in terms of this parallel journey of us doing our own work for us and listening to our feelings whilst also offering that to our children. And again, that brings us back to one of the things that's so hard about aware parenting is, is doing this uh, new way that we didn't receive ourselves and, and reparenting ourselves whilst also parenting our children. I'd love to hear more about how that's looked for you. When I work with parents, I often see that there is more need for emotional release than for pedagogical advice. Because of the parents that consult with me, often read my book, read Alita's books, and, and so on, and are very conscient and aware and, and so on, but very focused on how they have to deal with their children and the problems with them. And they are less occupied with how do I deal with myself and my emotions and my. So often the, the, the main work is there. To, to do with, with their own feelings and emotions and trauma and attachment issues and, and relational issues and so on. And that's parallel with my own process. I have done a lot of personal therapeutic work in, in groups and it, it was really necessary for me, those many hours of, of personal process work and especially very physical work like like bioenergetics and and breath work and and also the family constellation work was very helpful and it still is i i often take a massage two hour uh, sensitive massage to to really be in in my own body and and i go every six weeks to the sauna <laughs> and i would do i would love to do it every week <laughs> but i often say to parents you have to try to do things that are manageable. If you want to do something every day or every week and it's not possible, then you think about what is what is possible. Once a month is, is possible. This week, parents consulted with me there some troubles with their son. But a main issue was we don't have time for each other since we have children. Yeah. Because of their uh, oldest, he was uh, seven, 
He was so afraid to sleep somewhere else. He, he always needed his parents nearby, although he was seven. And that was very frustrating. And that's why they consulted with me, because we don't have time for each other anymore. But in their story, they, they told about their son that he enjoyed going to play with a friend a whole day from early in the morning till late in the evening, but he didn't want to sleep there. So I said to them, but then you are having a whole day with each other. And they looked at me, oh, yeah. but they didn't see that as time for each other. So they were fixated on, we want a night together without our child. So what was possible, they didn't do. <laughs> and what was for the moment impossible, they were fixated on. So I always have to look for what is possible in my life and then enjoy that the things that are possible. That's what I do, do myself. For instance, in the morning, a 20-minute walk before I start my day, I can choose to do that. I would love to do a two-hour walk, but that's difficult to manage with the children in the morning and the work and so on. But I can do a 20-minute walk and enjoy my 20-minute walk. I think that is helpful as a parent to, to learn to do the things that are possible. There are always possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love that you said that. And I think it's really interesting, isn't it, that often as parents, we we learn through aware parenting to understand more about needs and our children's needs. And then we can gradually, through that process, learn about our own needs too. And most of us are completely unaware of what our needs might be or yeah. how unmet most of them are. And then as we slowly become more aware of that, we can start to take steps to, to meet some of our needs. And like you say, to do it within whatever is possible with what's going on. And obviously, when the kids are really little, it can be very hard to meet to meet our needs and to find moments in the day where we can actually tend to ourselves and, and do things that make us feel relaxed and calm and balanced and safe and, and secure and all of those lovely things. But it's it's such a interesting process, becoming aware of what our needs are and giving ourselves permission to to meet those needs and to understand how how crucial it is for us to do that if we're going to be offering our children this kind of parenting. Exactly. I, I done a, a training in existential psychotherapy, and it's, it's, I was I'm very inspired by the work of Viktor Frankl the Jewish psychiatrist that survived uh, concentration camps during the Second World War. And this summer I read uh, Edith Eva Eger, The Choice. You don't know that book? It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. She was 16 years old, an Hungarian Jewish girl, and she, she was imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp. And she survived and she she's convinced that you always have a choice and there were always limitations and i like the idea of uh, the choice within the limitation and often people are unhappy because they want to choose things that are beyond the limitation <laughs> but within the limitation there are always choices to make and i think that there there is happiness to find when you can choose within the limitation human life is always with limitations our physical body, our environment, the other, which the uncontrollable other, that are the, the limitations. 
we have to deal with. Mm. That, that That's not a problem you can solve. Yes, uh, and there, there is immense power in, in those moments. It doesn't have to be, you know, two weeks going to meditate at the top of a mountain in, in Nepal. It can just be two minutes outside yes. of the sunshine with a cup of tea. And, and I think, yeah, it's a very different perspective when exactly. you start to appreciate those, those micro moments that you do have access to during the day to be to be tending to yourself and and actually just the mere act of of being aware of the need to tend to yourself is is quite mm. therapeutic in itself yeah it is then i'd love to talk to you about some other things have you had any challenges with people in your family and people in your community perhaps not not understanding the the work that you're doing with your children and the approach that you're taking and, and dealing with it being still, it's it's growing, obviously aware parenting, but it's still a, very much a minority way of, of raising our children. And often we come face to face with judgments or criticisms of people who don't understand this approach. Is that something you've had to face? Yes, but it seems that that happened in another life. <laughs> It's, it's so long ago when I had my eldest daughter in a sling on my body and I went went shopping with her or go to the family and so on. There was there was critic. People commented on that and questioned our approach at that time. So that was not always easy, but it seems so long ago. I, I think the last 15 years, I, I often meet people who are uh, in in the same pathway, and especially the last years with writing my book and doing a lot of trainings on a daily basis, I meet people who want this approach. <laughs> so so I I live in a kind of a bubble <laughs> where it, the people I meet, most of the people I meet, especially in my professional life, but also in our friends and family are are okay with what we are doing and and of course in the family i brothers sisters for me my wife don't agree with our approach but that isn't an issue anymore with the bigger children mm-hmm. when they are very small and they cry a lot during a, f- a family event then it's difficult but with a 14 and a 17 year old that's not an issue anymore now, of course, when I, I go with my son to the ice hockey games and trainings, you see different approaches of parenting and very punitive approaches also. But especially when children get older, it's okay that they see that different parents and teachers and trainers and coaches do it in another way than we do it. So they can see for themselves what is helping what is not helping what is what is good what is less good so now it's not an issue anymore for me but i remember it <laughs> that it has been an issue I, I remember when i was shopping somewhere and in the winter and my my baby girl was on my uh, chest in my coat and i went paying for for my groceries and the, the woman that was there, she asked me to open my my jacket because she thought I was stealing something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there is a baby. <laughs> and then uh, she melted. <laughs> there is a baby. Yeah, unusual. So unusual not to have it in a bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now, 20 years later, I see a lot of young 
parents carrying their children. That's not uh, a special thing anymore. It's, it's quite common. But 20 years ago, it was really strange. Yeah. People looked at me and I had, I had a sling, so four meters long, and then you were, and we get, get to a restaurant and people were, what is he doing? What is he doing with that baby? Yes, it's it's interesting, those different cultural perspectives. I remember when my children were little, we went to, um, my son was four, my daughter was two, and we went traveling in South America. And um, my husband was carrying the two-year-old in a sort of backpack thing. And it was really interesting because in that culture, it is completely normal to carry children until mm. for many years, but it's very unusual for a man to be seen carrying a child. And so... Ah. Yeah, we generated a lot of interest and we had lots of interesting conversations with people who wanted to come up to us and be like, well, why is he carrying the baby? Why aren't you carrying the baby? And it was really mm. interesting. But yes, I, I do remember back in those days, it was very unusual in, in Australia too, to be everybody was putting their children in a pram and to be carrying your child was quite unusual. And I do see that changing a lot. We've spoken a bit about some of the misunderstandings and the cultural beliefs that that seem to have misunderstood uh, what children really need and and how we can best support our children. Are there other things that you're aware of that you you can see that you wish people understood better or understood more clearly? Oh yeah, where shall I start? <laughs> yeah. Where shall I start? Often in the news you hear about problems with teenagers, uh, addiction, abuse, suicide, anorexia. And most of the time they talk about the, the problems of the teenagers. And yeah, specialists have to take care of that problems. While, as I said earlier in, in this, this talk, most problems we deal with in our life have a connection with our early childhood. And that has to do with attachment, stress regulation, trauma, and so on. So there is still a lot of work to do to, to make the connection between the, the behavioral problems we see in children when they get older and the way we treat our babies. Parents consulted with me with a 17-year-old boy who came in a hospital because he was so drunk that he, he fainted. He had a lot of alcohol in his body. And the parents had very much difficulties with their son. A lot of conflicts. And they came with him to me. He, he came along. I was surprised. I said, are you... So you, you see that there is a problem and you want to contribute to that. I don't have a problem. They have a problem. But I'm cooperative, so I, I'm here. And then there started a discussion between the parents and the boy. And there was, if you don't help with a vacuum cleaner, why should I give you money every week? And if you come home too late, why sh should I help you with uh, this? And, and they were arguing. And I looked at it a while and I asked him, is this the way you always talk with each other? Because that doesn't seem to be very helpful. <laughs> Where does it lead to? They agreed that it wasn't helpful, but they still kept on doing that. And it, at a certain point, the father said to his son, when you leave my house, don't think you will have one euro <laughs> of us anymore. 
And I said to him, are you threatening your son with, with the heritage? Heritage? Is that a good word? Inheritance. Yeah. Yep. Inheritance. Uh, yes. Are you threatening your son with your inheritance? And I said to them, this is why I told, I tell people with little children that a, a little child you can put in a corner of the room and say, stay there. Huh? But when that little guy is 15, 16 years old, he will put you there in the corner and say, <laughs> stay there. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's, that's the long-term project of raising children. In the long term, you're training a structure, you're training the puppy brain. And what we do need to train is the human brain to relate, to, to be empathic, to listen, to, to be aware of needs and feelings and, and so on. So if we don't train that, then you, you get a teenager with this behavior. And it's very common in our societies, it still is very common, not to see the connection between the behavior of the teenager and the way we, we treated them as a young child. And in that area, there is a lot of work to do. There is a lot of work to do. Yes, indeed. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. That's also what uh, Gabor Maté, the, the Canadian physician, I am uh, quite uh, fond of his work. He also says we are uh, splitting, splitting behavior and symptoms from the whole person and his environment. So if we really want to understand behavior, we need to make the connection with the, the complete person with feelings and needs and, and history and, and so on, and his environment. For me, that is, that is uh, so logical that it's all connected. But we live in a society that is very fragmented, very much uh, splitted, specialized. And that's also in the area of raising children that there is uh, a lot of specialism in, in aspects of development. One is specialized in potty training, and one is specialized in sleep training, and the other is specialized in eating. And the other is, when parents consult me, they ask me, are you experienced with potty training or something like that? No, I'm not special. That's not my speciality, <laughs> potty training. That's, that's an aspect of development. I, I can't see it as a, a simple thing that, is, that needs to be fixed. Mm. That's just an aspect of a whole process. So I'm not a specialist. I'm a, how do we call it? A generalist? Is yeah. that a good English word? Yep, yep. Seeing it, seeing it as a whole, obviously, within the context yes. of the whole life of that whole person. Yeah, exactly. I, I know as well that you're really interested in, in how we can support the, the coming generations and, and working towards support contributing to the society of tomorrow and supporting our children and raising our children with this awareness in, in order to be able to face some of the challenges of the future. And I know that you have, you have a network in relation to that too. Do you, do you want to talk any more about that? I'd love to hear some more about your thoughts about that. Yeah, after been working for many, many years on my own, did a lot of pioneering work here in Belgium in the year 2019. No, 2020, start of the COVID, I um, founded a network and I, I hope to find a few colleagues, four or five colleagues to make a network 
to really contribute to a more attuned and aware and, aware and empowering parenting style. But now, two years later, there are 62 colleagues in all parts of the Flemish-speaking part of Belgium and a few colleagues in Holland. And now uh, a lot of official organizations are adopting our work. And uh, in Dutch, it's called afgestemd opvoeden. It's, it's an attuned, attuned parenting, but it's, it's, it's for a big part based on aware parenting but elaborated with a lot of different approaches like nonviolent communication, like somatic experiencing, like leadership, mediation. And uh, it's, it's great. It's great to... Uh, last weekend, we had a meeting with 22 colleagues. It, it was really wonderful. And they work in very different places, youth care, child care, education, foster care, and even the Flemish government has mentioned it as an approach in Belgium, a parenting approach. Wow. So, so that, that, that was my dream to, to make a contribution in a, in a bigger scale uh, to the way we, we parent. And I can't do that on my own. And of course, the Aware Parenting Network is a worldwide network, but I felt there was also the need to make a, a local network in a Dutch-speaking area and a, a translation to, to the, the life now and here in, on this, in this age, on this place on earth, so in a language that people can understand. And that, that really works. Wow. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. It sounds so um, exciting. So much, um, yeah. so much possibility from that. Yes, and I think this is, it really feels like aware parenting is, this year has been really transformative for aware parenting. More and more people have come into the aware parenting community. More and more people have been certified as instructors. And it just seems to be growing so much. And I, I really see, it feels like we're on the cusp of this major shift in terms mm. of how many people around the world are, are going to become aware of this approach and, and the impact, therefore, on, on the future generations just feels so exciting. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's important that every aware parenting instructor makes his own translation of aware parenting for in your own life and in your own working environment and your own country. So that you can convey the the idea the the spirit mm. in in a way that you can reach people yeah yeah it's it's not that i read alita's books and i talk to people what i read in her books that will make them listen to what i say they they listen because i live <laughs> i live it yeah yes and i i i'm i integrated it in in who i am and and then, then people listen e easily. Uh, yeah. It's very satisfying to do. I, I love speaking for big audiences, hundred or uh, big. What is big? Hundred or two hundred people that I can really touch in their heart about the way we are raising our children. Yes, yeah, it's so powerful, isn't it? And I, what I love about this podcast, I feel so blessed to get the opportunity to speak to so many aware parenting instructors mm. because as you say everybody shares their own unique flavor of mm. aware parenting what it means to them how they've done it in their families what the challenges are that they've faced and so on and 
yes it's it's every each each one of us is obviously you're based very strongly on Aletha's beautiful incredible body of work but yeah bringing our own unique experiences to to how we share that with others is is so powerful so is there anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't had a chance to discuss yet is there anything else you wanted to share there is so much to talk about. Yeah. I think I share shared in a, in a nutshell the most important things for now. Okay. So, are you willing to share then? How how can people find you? How, how, where do you where do you share your work? Yeah, of course, my work is in Dutch, so that will be a limitation for a lot of people in the world. But uh, I've uh, a few websites. Perhaps you can mention them somewhere. Yes, I'll put them in the uh, description. Yeah, the onderstroom.be, but that that doesn't work in English. I think, uh, especially, I'm I'm sure a lot of Dutch speaking people will listen to your podcast. They they will find me. I think. Well, I'll, uh, I'll put those links in. Are you on social media as well? Yes, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. There you can find me, but I'm not very active. I, I prefer the real life. Contact. (laughs) I see a lot of young mothers sharing all their parenting experiences on Instagram. Uh, And I often think, but when are you then connected with your children? (laughs) If you have hours a day to answer all the reactions and all those things. So perhaps because I'm 52, I don't know. But I'm on social media, but not that intense. But you can find me there. Yeah, I'll, I'll put those yes. links in. Thank you. Yes. And I always end up by asking my guests if they could go back now to the beginning of their aware parenting journey, which obviously for you and I is many, many years ago. But what would you wish you had deeply known then? Or what would you like to tell that person, if, if that younger you, that you think would have been really helpful to know at the beginning? Someone asked me that question before, and I said uh, spontaneously, oh, relax, you're good enough. Beautiful. And that's that's still what I would say to the younger me 22 years ago. Relax, you're good enough. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That says it all. It does. It really does say it all. And it's so it's so compassionate and it's so vital in this journey of aware parenting, learning to speak this language of compassion to our children, but also learning to speak this language of compassion to ourselves, which most of us didn't receive and most of us are really not very fluent in. And I love that sense exactly. from that expression that you gave there, relax, you're good enough, that that it, it is such a compassionate and kind way to, mm. to support ourselves in this process. It's beautiful. Yeah, I've, I, when I say it again now, I can really feel it. It touches it touches me when I say relax, you're good enough. Mm. And I would like to say to all parents, <laughs> relax, you're good enough. Mm-hmm. And that's that's as you say, is really helpful to to connect with children, that you're you have that empathy for yourself. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so beautiful to model that to our children as well, so that they won't have to unlearn this sort of self-criticism and this judgment and the guilt and the shame and all the things that we tend to go into at times about ourselves. They will just naturally speak that to themselves because that's how we've spoken to them and that's how they've seen us learn how to speak to ourselves. So it's such such a powerful thing, isn't it? Yeah, that would be beautiful. Mm. 
Well, I could keep talking to you for hours, but I am aware of the time. So I just want to say thank you so much for making time to come and share with us. It's been so interesting to hear your story and and to listen to your reflections on many years of practicing this in your family. And I'm so grateful for your time. You're very welcome. I really feel honored that I can can have this conversation with you. It's, uh, It's so strange. We don't know each other. You live on the other side of the world. And on the other hand, it feels as if we know each other for a long time. Yes, yes. So, because there is a connection in a in a, in a deeper way. I don't mm. know how to express it, but um, I really enjoyed this uh, conversation with you. And it it can really go on for a few hours, but <laughs> uh, that's not the concept of a podcast to do okay. a, a three-hour podcast. No, it's a bit <laughs> intimidating for people. <laughs> yes thank you so much for your time i look forward to speaking to you again thank you for joining me on aware parenting stories i hope you enjoyed this episode to find out more please visit my website www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at aware parenting with joss i wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures Mm -hmm.